Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dirty Blondes. So if you remember from the BDSM 101 episode, there are three main groups within BDSM. Last week I covered domination and submission, and this week I was going to do bondage and discipline, but there's so much to cover within the bondage topic that I've decided just to do bondage by itself. So I will cover discipline later on in the series. So believe it or not, there's more to bondage than just rope play and furry handcuffs. This episode will introduce you to the different types of bondage and what makes each one so unique. So like I said before, in the BDSM 101 episode, bondage is the practice of tying, binding, or restraining a partner for either erotic, aesthetic, or sensory stimulation. So bondage itself doesn't imply sadomasochism. Like I said before, there's a lot of overlap within the BDSM umbrella, so you can still enjoy bondage without the type of pain that goes along with sadomasochism. Bondage can also be used for pleasure and discipline. One of the main reasons for the dominant partner to tie up their sub is so that both can get pleasure from the temporary transfer of power. The active partner gets the visual pleasure and satisfaction from seeing their partner tied up, while the restrained partner gets sensual pleasure from feeling helpless and immobile. Now, with sadomasochistic people, bondage is used truly as a means to an end. So the restrained partner can be more accessible to sadomasochistic behavior. All right, now let's get into the different types of bondage. There's a lot of different forms of bondage, and there's even a lot of different positions when it comes to rope play. I'm going to give you guys a high-level overview of all the different kinds. Some of these types of bondage have a lot of layers to them, so some of these I'm going to break out into separate episodes down the road, but I just want to give you guys a little summary of each one. So the first one I'm going to cover is restrictive bondage. Restrictive bondage is exactly what the name suggests. It's using rope or chains, leather restraints, handcuffs, spreader bars, and other toys and props with the sole goal of being able to restrict a person's movement. This is the most common type of BDSM play that you're going to find under the bondage umbrella. I feel like at this point, pretty much everyone has dabbled in a little bit of restrictive bondage, thanks to Fifty Shades of Grey, mostly. (laughs) Restrictive bondage can range from being handcuffed to your headboard all the way to extreme types of restrictive bondage, which are mummification and vacuum sealing. So these types of bondage use either bondage tape, leather or latex suits, or a vacuum bed to give people a full body bondage experience. So basically almost every inch, except sometimes your head or face, will be covered with material during these types of play. So mummification provides complete immobilization using either plastic wrap, vet wrap, duct tape, or other materials, and they're often combined together. So for example, you might use plastic wrap or even pantyhose as a first layer to protect the skin. And then you might add a layer of duct tape and wrap the person completely in that. There are extreme cases where people use plaster casting. So that's obviously a little bit more of an advanced level of restrictive bondage, but it is a thing. Now, vacuum sealing uses a latex bed or like latex sheet set, or you can even use a latex cocoon that allows air to be sucked out and it leaves that person with no movement. So regardless of which method of these you use, they're both considered extreme forms of restrictive bondage. And depending on how extreme you are with your bondage practice, 
with these types, you might be able to incorporate breath play because there could be some cases where you're not able to breathe or breathe well. And I'm sure some of you are sitting there thinking, who the fuck is into mummification or vacuum sealing bondage? So people who enjoy these types of bondage might feel soothed by the full body compression that they experience. And some people might like the full control that it gives them over their partner. Now with the self-soothing part, think of it as like a weighted blanket, you know, I know people who use weighted blankets and it really helps with their anxiety and it just makes them feel really great because of the weight of it. Whereas I've met other people who can't stand weighted blankets. It heightens their anxiety and it doesn't make them feel good with the weight and the pressure. So it's kind of the same mindset. So for some people, the whole restricted and completely immobilized feeling may feel really good to them. So that's one of the reasons why they do it. But this type of bondage is very dangerous if performed incorrectly or performed without care. So this should only be practiced with people who know what they're doing. And this isn't something that you rush into. This is something that takes a lot of practice and a lot of time and patience and education too, because you could severely hurt someone if you don't do it correctly. Okay, the next type of bondage I'm going to cover is sensory deprivation. Sensory deprivation is commonly used in BDSM, and it forces us to focus on our other senses by depriving us of one or more of our senses. So for example, blindfolds are commonly used to deny us of sight, but that forces us to rely on touch, smell, hearing, and taste to guess what's coming next. If we have a blindfold on, our sense of touch feels more intense, we typically have a greater ability to hear, and our sense of smell is more keen. The sense of sight is the most common form of sensory deprivation because sight is the one sense that we rely on the most out of any of the others. I've already mentioned blindfolds as the number one way to deprive that sense, but there are also other ways to limit your vision by getting rid of peripheral vision. So in that case, you could use something like side blinders like they would use on a horse. So this narrows your view so you can still see, but you can't see the best, which if you're bound and tied down to the bed or in a position where someone could be coming at you from different angles, that's why you would want to do that. Using a mask also narrows the scope of your vision so you can only see what's in front of you. Hoods are very common as well in BDSM, so they're great for limiting both sight and hearing. So typically they're a full facial mask. Now with taste, it's a little bit trickier. The sense of taste can't really be taken away, but what you can do is overwhelm it by using foods with intense flavor. So you can use anything that's really bitter or really sour or really spicy. You can even use mouthwash. Mouthwash is a great way to mask the next taste that's detected in your mouth. Taste and smell typically go hand in hand. So if you plug someone's nose, taste is slightly hampered anyway. So if you've had a cold before and you've had a stuffy nose, chances are you weren't able to taste any of the food that you were eating. And with smell, obviously the taste of smell can be blocked by plugging up the nose, which I just mentioned, and this affects taste. But you can use a hood that blocks sight and sound in conjunction with possibly even a clothespin on the nose that will force your partner's attention on what they feel on their skin. So this intensifies the good and the bad. Now, when it comes to hearing, 
hoods, earplugs, and headphones with noise-canceling ability or loud music playing are all great ways to limit hearing. So if you want to use hearing to its best effect, pick the same music to use every single time you're depriving the sense. So this is going to do two things. It blocks all the sound because of the loud music, but then it also trains the mind and your body to crave sex or that kink when that type of music comes on. Electronic music also has the added benefit of causing mental confusion. So this is particularly useful for like interrogation scenes or when you want your sub to be a little bit confused and focus their attention on other senses. Now, when you want to deprive someone of touch, it's a little bit different compared to the other senses because skin is the largest organ on the human body. The only way to effectively decrease the sense of touch is to either create a barrier by using plastic wrap or liquid latex or even a topical anesthetic that will numb the skin. So the main reason people participate in any type of sensory deprivation is because it helps make them feel more helpless, but it also makes their other senses more sensitive to stimuli, which usually results in really intense and erotic pleasure. So when you're depriving your partner of one or more senses, remember to focus on the other senses that aren't being deprived. And with sensory deprivation and really any of the types of bondage that I'm discussing in this episode, all of these are a marathon and not a sprint. So these are something that you have to commit to and take your time with. So I know a lot of you out there are not great at the whole foreplay game. A lot of you just want to get to things and get it done and over with and rush into it. And there's no foreplay and there's nothing. If you're not into foreplay, BDSM and bondage play is probably not going to be for you. It's not an immediate satisfaction. You know, you're not getting that immediate satisfaction in a lot of cases. You have to work up to things. You have to build up to certain acts. You have to play a waiting game. That's half the fun of a lot of this. So just keep that in mind that this is a marathon and not a sprint. So you really do have to take your time and have fun with it. The next topic I'm going to cover is decorative bondage. So aesthetics can play a huge role in bondage. This is the type of bondage that you see in artistic and erotica type images. There's an element of art to this type of bondage. So Japanese bondage is one of the oldest and most popular forms of bondage today. This form of bondage is known for using silk ropes, artful tying skills, and layering ropes to turn the bound person into a work of art. So there's two types of Japanese bondage. There's shibari, which is an ancient Japanese art of bondage, which means to tie. It's often described as decorative or artistic rope play. This type of bondage typically uses either silk rope or scarves. The other type of bondage is called kimbaku. This is a version of rope play that is done with the intent to cause pain or to create an emotional response. So kimbaku means tight binding. So it's not strictly for decorative or aesthetic purposes. Being bound and put on display like a work of art is what really sets this bondage apart from other types of bondage. Another very popular form of decorative bondage is corsetry. So the main goal of wearing a corset is, of course, to cinch your waist and give you an aesthetically pleasing hourglass figure. There are two types of corsetry bondage. One is waist training and one is tight lacing. Waist training is simply to give you the illusion of a smaller waist, while the goal of tight lacing is to actually bind your waist and shrink down your waistline. So tight lacing is more of a lifestyle. 
you wear the corset 23-7, and it's not 24-7 because the corset is only removed when you're showering. So tight lacing is truly a lifestyle. So again, these are all more around the artistic and aesthetic part of bondage. The next one I'm going to cover is facial or head bondage. So facial or head bondage is when the use of any type of rope or harness or chain is used in order to immobilize the head. So this type of bondage is a little riskier than other types because the head and neck are such a sensitive part of the body. So some variations of head bondage will include blindfolds, gags, and collars. Gags are one of the most common bondage-related sex toy in the market, and there are a bunch of different types of gags you can choose from. So some different types include ball gags, which is meant to muffle talking or screaming, ring gags, which force the person's mouth open. So this is so you can either stick things in their mouth or force a blowjob on them or something like that. And then bits, which is used for pony play. So Usually with bits, I mean, they do have metal ones, but most of them are some type of like silicone or plastic. So it's just like a bridle that you would put in a horse's mouth. So that's another type of gag. Facial bondage and gagging often go hand in hand, but there's a slight difference between the two types of bondage, which is worth pointing out. So gagging is specifically focused on the person's mouth, while facial bondage is focusing on their entire face. So eyes, cheeks, nose, and everything else. An obscure type of head bondage is hair bondage. So hair bondage is often done to restrict movement, add a certain psychological layer of subservience to a sub, or for the appealing pulling sensation that many people love to feel. What many people might not realize is that this form of bondage does require some special techniques because if you don't tie your hair correctly, it can be pulled out and that doesn't feel good. I actually used to hook up with a guy who liked when my hair would be in a ponytail when we would have sex because he would wrap my hair around his hand and he would lead me and guide me around into either different positions or he would drag me to my knees if he wanted to stand and like have me kneeling to give a blowjob. So I think there can be you know, you can do that as a beginner level and you don't need necessarily special instruction. Um, typically if you get grab the hair by the root, then it's less painful than grabbing it towards the ends. I highly recommend it. I love when guys do that to my hair or grab, you know, even if my hair is not in a ponytail and grab it, I think that's a great like thing to add into your sex life. Even if you're not being bound necessarily, just hair play is always fun. All right, the next type of bondage I'm going to cover is chastity bondage. So chastity bondage is all about forcing people to be unable to have sex, and it typically involves the use of chastity devices to make that happen. So there are chastity devices available for men and women. So for men, they're typically cages made out of either a plastic known as a soft cage, or they're made out of metal. So these typically stop the male from getting hard. And there are also ones that restrain the penis when it's hard, but a majority of the time with chastity bondage, the goal is to have the male not get hard and not have an orgasm. For women, chastity devices are typically some type of belt made of leather and or metal that covers the opening of the vagina. Most chastity devices have a lock on them as well. So if you're really into the whole bondage scene and you're at an advanced level and this is your full-time lifestyle, 
there's people who will lock a chastity device and take the key with them. So their sub has to wear that all day and they can't do anything about it. So these can go as extreme as you would like. All right. So the next one I'm going to cover is breast bondage. Breast bondage is a technique that involves tying rope or other ties around the breasts. It focuses on the aesthetic appeal of tied breasts rather than restraining the subject. So breast bondage techniques lift and separate the breasts, which draws attention to them and makes them look more voluptuous and appealing to those who appreciate the aesthetic. So this kind of overlaps with the decorative bondage, which is funny because there's a Japanese breast bondage term called shinzu and it's a subset of shibari but specifically focuses on tying up the breasts and is typically done with rope but you can also use leather harnesses some additional forms of breast bondage are nipple clamps suction cups or vibrating nipple suckers so those can all be incorporated into breast bondage as well. Predicament bondage is a type of bondage that's done to put people in an uncomfortable position or situation. This type of bondage is more for advanced players who want to take their bondage efforts to the next level. The whole idea of predicament bondage is to make someone stand or tie someone up into a really uncomfortable position, one that likely puts a lot of stress on their joints and other underutilized muscles. This bondage is used specifically to make your submissive partner squirm. Any position that is extremely uncomfortable shouldn't be held for very long. So when participating in predicament bondage, make sure that there's an easy and quick way to release the sub when their muscles finally give out or they can't hold the position any longer. And while predicament bondage tends to focus on discomfort, torture bondage is more about just delivering pain. This type of bondage is common with sadomasochism. So with torture bondage, the sub or masochist is usually left tied up for hours. So the dom or the sadist want them to be in more comfortable positions so the torture can last longer without injuring them. And the last one that I'm going to cover is suspension bondage. So suspension bondage is one of the very few types of bondage that should not be attempted unless you have specially trained professionals helping you out. Suspension involves hanging someone from the ceiling or from other tall heights. Suspension bondage can be done through a variety of different methods, including rope, chains, cable, leather, and even meat hooks that pierce through the shoulders. Strong materials will need to be installed to support the full weight of a person hanging. So not only should you have a professional walk you through the correct ways to do suspension bondage, you'll also need professionals to install the various things you need to suspend the person. Unless you can do it yourself and you're a handy person then great. But there is a lot of thought process that goes into suspension bondage. With that being said, most people who aren't into hardcore BDSM will find suspension bondage to be way too scary and advanced to ever try it because of the experience required and because it involves so much more risk. So speaking of risk, I'm going to jump into bondage safety. Let's get into some basic safety. Doesn't matter if you're at the beginner level or more advanced, there's always a risk when it comes to any type of bondage. The goal is to control and minimize the risk and potential for things to go wrong. So some ways you can be injured are you're going to have bruises, potential skin abrasions, rope marks or rope burns, 
sore muscles, stiffness, you could have circulation issues, nerve damage, asphyxiation, um, falling, which, you know, I mean, people fall all the time. So you probably are thinking, oh, that's not a big deal. No, you can, if you're, if you're bound and say you're hogtied or you're vacuum sealed into a cocoon and you fall off the bed, you can break a bone, you can tear a muscle, you can damage your joints and ligaments, you can get a head injury. So falling is it, you know, it seems like, oh, you know, they just fell. No, it's, you don't have your arms a lot of times to stop your fall. And fainting is even another one. So if if you're fucking around with breath play, that's something where fainting could happen. So that's something that you have to watch out for too. I'm going to do an entire episode on safety and how to avoid getting hurt. But like I said in previous episodes in this series, it's important to take it slow. You don't need to be at an advanced or expert level right from the start. A lot of what I've mentioned in this episode is going to take time for you to get there. Also, I highly suggest doing trial runs before you act out some of these scenes and before you're actually aroused. So that way you can find comfortable positions and you know what you're doing. So a dry run is very important, Um, especially to finding certain positions. Like I know because I was so overweight that my knees are shot. Like my knees and my hips are in such bad shape for someone my age. And I know that there are certain positions that just don't feel good for me and that I would not be able to sustain for a long period of time where someone else who might have the same size body as me might be able to do that because they, you know, weren't abusing their body by overeating. So it's really important to kind of do that work ahead of time. So the bondage experience is enjoyable for both of you. There's also a ton of YouTube videos out there that you guys can watch. If you search bondage 101, you'll find a lot of them. And then you can go down that rabbit hole of how to's when it comes to various types of bondage play. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know that was a lot of information in a short time, but like I said, I'll go into a deeper dive into some of these bondage categories because some of them, there are a lot of layers to it. And there's a lot of really extreme cases that are just kind of interesting to hear about. So stay tuned. I will definitely cover more of this in more detail. As always, like, subscribe, go to Apple Podcasts and give me five stars if you listen on there. And don't forget to head over to the link in my Instagram bio at Dirty Blondes Pod. And you can submit questions, feedback, or be a guest if you would like. Speaking of guests, I have a few fun guests lined up for some upcoming episodes. One of my guests is going to be Jeff Abraham, who is the CEO of Promescent, which is a company that has an assortment of products to enhance your sex life. They're giving all of my listeners 15% off with the code DIRTY15. The link is in my Instagram bio if you want to check them out. They have a ton of great products. They have condoms, delay sprays, lube, supplements. They have all kinds of stuff. So go check them out. You get 15% off. Dirty15 is the code. And stay tuned for that episode because I'm very excited to chat with Jeff. All right, guys. I hope you have a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week. All right. Love you guys. Bye.